Okay, let's do this. You can really feel the logic in this little paragraph, can't you? I tried to make the logic really pop as I read it to you. There's clearly some strong logic at work. The author has been building an argument for the last 10 chapters. We don't have time this morning to review all of that. Someday I'll get to teach through the book of Hebrews to you. It's a masterpiece of theology showing how Jesus fulfills and then surpasses everything in the Old Testament, including what we've been working towards in the prophecy of Jeremiah. But today we're parachuting into the end of the argument. We're parachuting into chapter 10 where the author is presenting his or her conclusions and pressing home the implications of that argument. This is the so what section where we get to the bottom line of what we're supposed to do because of the truth of the gospel that he or she, we don't know exactly who the author was, I'll be using he from here on, has been presenting. And you can just feel the logic. It's got words like therefore and since. There are two senses in this passage. It's like, it's like what Keith said, there are ideas here and they have consequences. And he's going to show how the one leads to the other. If this is true, because this is true, since this is true, therefore, this is how we should live as followers of Jesus Christ today. You could just feel the logic. And as part of that, he keeps using this phrase, let us. Now, Ken, he's not talking about the kind of lettuce you put on your hamburger, okay? This is not lettuce, little leafy green stuff. It's mostly just water, right? Some of you are lettuce lovers out there, okay? You can enjoy your lettuce. But the rest of us, we eat it because we need, we need that in our diet, all right? But this is two words, let us, let us. And you'll see in the NIV, there are five of them. I hope you heard them as I read them to you. I tried to underline them as I did. Let us do this. Let us not do that. Let us, let us, let us, let us, let us. So that's our title for today, and here's what it means. It means like what they say in the movies, right before the action sequence starts, right? Right before the big fight, right before the race, right before the good part, right before the beat drops, right, Mr. Jones? Right before the beat drops. Let's do this, right? I know it's not cool when your pastor says it. My kids are all embarrassed, but I'll say it. Let's go, right? Let's crack. Peter's hanging his head here. Let's crack our knuckles and get started. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's get down to it. This is what we're supposed to do. And today, I'm going to summarize them in three exhortations. Number one, let us draw near to our God. If you're taking notes, that's number one. It's right there on the face of the text. Let us draw near to our God. Let's dive into verse 19 and see this logic at work. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, and he's including sisters in that too. This is the whole family of God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Do you feel it? Do you feel the logic, how it's building? He's been building towards this conclusion. He's talking here about the good news, right? 
what we were trying to share yesterday with our guests on our campus. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's talking about what Jesus did on the cross. He talks about blood, right? We sing a lot about blood here on Sunday mornings. The only time you ever hear anything more about blood is when you're at the hospital, right? But here we're always talking about blood, and we're talking about a specific person's blood, the blood of Jesus. And that blood does something. This idea has consequences. Jesus' blood, verse 19, is the reason why we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the holy presence of God. For us, that's heaven. Do you have confidence that you will enter heaven? In the Old Testament, only the high priest, only once a year, could enter into the earthly holy place in the temple, which symbolized the entrance into the very holy presence of God. There was this thick curtain that kept everybody else out, or they would be destroyed by the holiness of God because of the sinfulness of man. He wasn't keeping them out for his sake, he was keeping them out for their sake because they would be destroyed. We would be destroyed because we're sinful. But do you remember what happened to that curtain on the day Jesus died? Rip! The curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, and that symbolized the access that believers now have to the very holy presence of God. Jesus' death opened up the way. He calls it a new and living way. It's a new and greater covenant like Jeremiah 31, which we're going to get to, predicts. And Jesus is this new and greater high priest. He's new because he takes his own blood. He offers his own blood, not not the blood of bulls and goats, but his own. And he not only goes into the holy place himself, but he takes us all in. And we've been singing about it all morning, haven't we? There's power. Power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea. A great what? High priest whose name is love. That's Hebrews 10. Whoever lives and pleads for me. He's alive now and praying for us. His name is graven on, my name is graven on his hands. My name is graven on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, how long is that going to be? Forever. No tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can say to me, hey, you, get out of here. No tongue can bid me thence depart. That's what this author is talking about in verses 19 through 21. And he's been saying this the whole book. Since this is true, let's do this. Let us draw near. To God. Verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Doesn't that just make sense? You see the logic here? Since Jesus died for you, giving you access to God, get close to God. Somebody gave you the access card, right? Do you ever have to have an access card that you have to swipe to get into a building? Somebody gave you the access card, but you're like, yeah, I don't know if I'll get in. Swipe the card. Go in the door. 
Draw near to God. Don't stand far off. Don't hang back. Draw close to God. Because you have nothing to fear. Now, if you are outside of Jesus Christ, if you're not trusting in what Jesus did for you on the cross, if you don't have the access card, then you do have something to fear. You have to fear the holiness of God. Don't try to storm that door without the card. But if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then your heart, he says, is sprinkled to cleanse you from a guilty conscience. In other words, you're forgiven. Bonnie was telling me last night that she asked someone at the cruise in if they were Christians. And they said yes. But then she asked them if they knew they were going to heaven. And they weren't sure. And Bonnie was able to point them to the blood of Jesus. And she used these words. It's only because of the blood that we have confidence. Remember saying that to me last night? She used the word confidence. You know where that's from? Hebrews 10. She didn't know I was going to preach on it this morning. It's only because of the blood that we have confidence. But because we have the blood, we have the confidence. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. So live like a forgiven person. Get up close to the one who forgave you. Now that means prayer, right? And it means worship. It, it means daily time alone with God. When was the last time you got alone with God? And it means gathering with the people of God like we're doing this morning. He says, having our bodies washed with pure water. Scholars are divided on that, but it might be a reference to water baptism. Like Bobbert did just a few weeks ago. And some more of you are getting ready to do this fall. Or it could be what baptism points to, to the, cleanse, the spiritual cleansing that comes from the Holy Spirit. Either way, we are pure because of what Jesus has done. You're pure because of what Jesus has done. So let's do this. Put your faith in Jesus and draw near to God. Are you doing that? You just sang about it. Oh, the pure delight of a single hour that before thy throne I spend. When I kneel in prayer and with thee, my God, I commune as friend with friend. You're a friend of God. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. That's the idea, and it has these consequences. The consequence is you get near to God. Number two, let us hold on to our hope. Let us draw near to our God, and let us hold on to our hope. The logic continues, verse 23. Since all of this is true, verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let's do this. Let's hold on. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Life is tough for you. 
and it seems to be getting tougher. And you need a reminder of the good news of the gospel, and you need to be reminded about your hope. Our hope here is not our wishes, like, I hope we have Texas sheet cake soon at home. This is not just a wish. This is a promise. It's like if Heather Joy said to me, next week, we'll have Texas sheet cake at home. Then it's a promise. Then it's something I can hope in. Our hope here is what God has promised to us because of what Jesus has done for us. And it makes all the difference. That was our message yesterday at the Good News Cruise. We were telling people what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and because of that, what God has promised for us in the future. That's our hope. How strong is our hope? Our hope is not strong based on how strong our hoper is, like how how much hope I can generate in my heart. Our hope is as strong, a promise is only as good as the promise maker is good, right? Like if Heather Joy promises me a Texas sheet cake next week, that's that's as good as gold, right? I could raise funds on that because it's coming. If, 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 if Terry Sheets tells you that if you meet him tomorrow at such and such a place, at such and such a time, he will give you $10,000, how likely is that to happen? Not very, Terry says. It all depends on how trustworthy they are. And Terry, if you told me that, I would believe you and I would be there. I would, not, to, not that you have, you haven't told me that. But I would arrange my day and I would drive over there because I trust Terry Sheets. But it all depends on who you're dealing with. What does the author say in verse 23? He who promised is faithful. If Jesus gave his blood, if Jesus opened up a new and living way, if he had his body ripped open by nails... If he was a curtain torn in two for us, so there's a new way in to the most holy place. If he's a great high priest over the house of God, if my name is graven on his hands and my name is graven on his heart, do you think I should hold on to all the promises he's made for my future? He who promised is faithful. Or as the hymn says, the Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope, secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. He has good plans for us. Not just good news, but good plans. And we know He's going to affect those good plans. No matter what. Hold on to that. Verse 23 calls it unswervingly. Don't swerve from this hope. This morning I had to run home real quick and I ran back and I just about ran into Art Fulmer. Art was coming through. He dropped Sharon off like he normally does, making his way normally and I'm swinging around the corner. You know what I did? I swerved. Oops, sorry, I'm going too fast. I swerved. And then I put my car nice and slow into its normal parking spot by the dumpster. This says, hold on to your hope unswervingly don't swerve from this hope verse 23 says that we profess this hope we say this with our lips but do we live it out we profess it we talk the talk but do we walk the walk 
Do we say that we believe all of this about God, but then act like we don't have any hope in our day-to-day lives? Hold on! Now, some of you, it's going to have to be by your fingernails. Life is hard, and it, it feels harder. But the promise, the one who promised is faithful. Hold on. In a few minutes, we're going to talk about some of our plans for the fall as a church. We don't have a lot to tell you yet. You've heard some of them from Keith this, Hurley this morning. We have a few more ideas to share with you, some recommendations, some foundational ones that lay the groundwork for the future. We're moving forward, but slowly. And we need to hold on to our hope while we wait. One more, and then we're done. Here's the logic. Here's where the good news about the good plans leads to the good deeds. Number three, let us encourage our family. Let us encourage our, let us draw near to our God. Let us hold on to our hope and let us encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. Look with me at verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Here's the logic. The author says that because the gospel is true, Let's do this. Let's look for opportunities to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's watch out for each other and watch for chances to provoke each other towards love. Isn't that interesting? The author of this letter knows that we all need poking and prodding sometimes to do the right thing. We all need little nudges and little shoves. The Greek word here for spur is paroxysmon, and it means to encourage, to provoke, to stir up, to incite, to poke somebody in a good way. It means to lovingly get into each other's faces and call each other to do what we know we need to do. All of a sudden, it's football season, right? It always, I know it comes every fall, but it always just surprises me. Boom, it's here. Do you ever watch the coaches on the sidelines in a football game, how they get the players ready to go into the game. I like to watch Todd Dobo do this, right? Todd can do like three things on the football field all at once. He can be talking up to the, the guy up in the booth and yelling at his players and grab a player and pull him right up to his face, right? And I don't know what he says to those players. You know, you know what I'm talking about? When they grab your, you know, they grab your jersey and you pull them right up to their face and he says eye to eye, and I don't know what Todd says. I don't get to hear the little pep talk he gives them. But the second they're done, that, that player just turns around and around, runs out on the field, and tries to do exactly what Todd told them to do. That's paroxysmon. That's stirring them up. And that's what the church family is supposed to be for each other. That's why we're here this morning. That's one of the biggest reasons why we gather as a church. It's not to watch some religious show. You're not an audience, and we up here are performers. I know sometimes I act like it, uh, like I set myself on fire and just, just watch, yeah. But that's just me trying to stir you up. No, this is a gathering of family. It's a family gather, gathering where we get into each lives, get into each other's faces, and spur one another on to love and good deeds, to say to each other once a week, let's do this. 
In fact, this fall, every, every Sunday when you get to church, find somebody and just say, let's do this. Jesus is real. Let's do this. Brian, let's do this. Jordan, let's do this. John Lee, let's do this. Nancy Morlock, so good to have you back with us. Yesterday, again today, Jesus is real. Let's do this. Rick, let's do this. All right, <laughs> all right, he says. Yes. By the way, the Greek words for good deeds in verse 24 are the exact same words that Pastor Kerry told us about last week in 1 Peter 2.12. Kalon ergon, good deeds. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your kalon ergon, your good deeds, and glorify God on the day He visits us. This week is going to be hard. It's going to be full of hard things. Some of you, most of you are going back to school if you're a student. It's going to be hard. Teachers, administration. Next Sunday, we're going to make back to school Sunday. You're going to have a few days in and you're going to tell us how to pray for you because you're going to have a real good idea of how you need prayed for. Okay. It's going to be hard, but you're going to go there in the name of Jesus and do good deeds and love people in Jesus name. Pastor Kerry was trying to stir us up last week to do good deeds. And folks, you have done good deeds this last week. Yesterday was good deed after good deed after good deed. Registration, photography, setup, takedown prizes, food, parking, food, m- music, food, greeting people, food. Did I mention food? And you even get to take some home after church today. Take some hot dogs and some rolls home with you. You did the good deeds yesterday. And not just here on campus, but out in the world all last week at your job, in your neighborhood, at your family gathering, doing good deeds in love for Jesus and his name. Good job. Keep it up. Don't give up. Let's do this. Keep on loving even your enemies because the gospel is true. Now, some people think that we're trying to do good deeds to earn God's favor and get into heaven. It don't work that way. The logic goes the other way around. Because of what Jesus has done for us by shedding his wonder-working blood, we are free to now love other people and do good deeds in his name. See what I'm trying to do here this morning? I'm trying to stir you up. In fact, that's what I'm trying to do each and every week when we open God's word together. That's a big part of why we gather. So we need to gather That's the next thing he says, verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Apparently, some people who claimed to be Christians had stopped coming to church gatherings. The word for gave up is the same word as forsake. Like what Jesus felt on the cross, forsaken. The turned back. Some people had turned their back on their church family and gotten into the habit of not participating. And that hurt them. 
It hurt the people who left, and it hurt the people who stayed. Because we all need each other. I'm so glad you came to church today because we need you. Notice that the point of gathering is to encourage one another. When you show up for church, you're encouraging the people around you. When you come to church, you come for yourself because you need it, but you also come for everybody else because we all need you. We need you. We need you. You know, COVID has been really hard because it has made gathering together more difficult and less comfortable. In fact, at times, it has been more loving to not gather because we have been watching out for each other. We've stirred each other to love and good deeds by keeping our distance at times. Thank you for not coming to church when you are sick with COVID. I stayed away when I had it. But it's become easier in some ways to not obey verse 25. In other words, it's become easier to disobey verse 25. You get out of the habit of gathering because it's, it's harder, because it's different. It, it's not like it used to be. It's, it's not familiar or normal or comfortable. But verse 25 is still in our Bibles, even in a time of plague. We need to encourage each other. We need to poke and prod and provoke and spur one another on to love and good needs. We need somebody to grab our jersey and pull us up eye to eye and say, let's do this. There's a new book out in the foyer. We got a, bunch, a box of them for free from the publisher. It's called Rediscover Church, Why the Body of Christ is Essential. And there's a bunch of them out there. They're free for anybody who wants to read it. Or maybe you might want to give it to somebody who's wondering if church is all that important after all. It is. Not coming to some building and listening to a concert and an inspirational TED Talk. That's not what church is. Church is the gathering of the family of God to draw near to our God and worship Him and to spur one another on to love and good deeds and encourage each other to hold on to our hope. To get close to each other and say, we can do this. Let's do this you got to do it. Turn to the person next to you and say, let's do this. I'm so proud of how our church family continued to meet all the way through the restrictions phase of COVID. Sometimes in really different ways like Zoom or in spread out seating or under a tent or out here in the parking lot. But by and large, you have done a great job of staying committed to each other and encouraging each other and encouraging each other and encouraging each other. I hope that everyone who comes on Sundays is both encouraged and an encourager. Let me tell you this. Come to church bent on encouraging someone each week, and you will go home encouraged yourself. Come to church bent on encouraging someone each and every week, and you will go home encouraged yourself. Let's do this. Let's really do this. Do you see how the author intensifies it at the end of verse 25 as he lands the plane? Let us encourage one another and all the more. He's ratcheting it up. He's turning it to 11. All the more as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? Sunday? Does he mean Sunday? No. He means what Sunday represents. He means the day of Christ's return. 
Jesus didn't just die and rise again and ascend into heaven like Abe told us about two weeks ago. But Jesus is coming back soon, like Abe told us about two weeks ago. And we need to remind ourselves of that again and again and again. We need to tell each other that again and again and again. One of the reasons why we gather as a church every Sunday is to remind each other that there is a day coming when all will be made right. You ready for that? When, all, when everything bad will come untrue? When all those promises that God has made will be fulfilled? When the kingdom of Christ will come in all of its fullness? The day is approaching. We can see it approaching. It's sooner now than it has ever been. Joel was just talking about that this week at, at prayer meeting in Mark 13. Let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you feel the logic now? Let's do this, Lance Free Church. Let's draw near to our God. We have confidence in the blood of Jesus. Good news. Let us hold on to our hope. We, he who promised is faithful. He's got good plans for us. And let us encourage our family towards love and good deeds because the day is approaching. And what a day of rejoicing that will be.